He Shoots, He Draws is sponsored by the Westcott Rapid Box Switch in association with JP Distribution. Isn't it time you made the switch? Do it today at www.fjwestcott.com backslash switch. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glenn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hi, and welcome back to He Shoots, He Draws with myself, Dave Clayton, and my ever-present co-host, buddy, brother, room sharer, <laughs> Glenn Dewis. Hello, Glenn. Hello, mate. Hello. <laughs> Um, we've just actually finished recording uh, a cracking interview for you. Yeah. Uh, this is someone who we'd both met before. Um, I'd spent a little bit more time with her when we met at Photoshop World, so I kind of knew her background. His name is Stacey Pearsall. Um, she actually did a class at Photoshop World where she talked about her background when she joined the uh, United States Air Force. And she told an incredible story uh, on the day, a, a whole thing about her history. And we just really wanted to get her on here because her life has moved. Uh, I wouldn't say moved on, but so she's had some new experiences. And we just wanted to talk to her about them. And uh, I think for you, Glenn, as well with your project, uh, it was for me, I wanted you to talk to her because you hadn't really known a lot about her. Yeah, there were so many questions I had because obviously, Stacey, you mentioned there that she joined, uh, she was in the American Air Force, but she was in there as a combat aerial combat photojournalist. So that immediately, to me anyway, was kind of really interesting because she kind of says in her bio that she joined the American Air Force and then became this photographer. So that was fascinating. But yeah, you're quite right. The, the reason I really had so many questions for Stacey was because uh, I'm obviously doing my 1940s World War II project but Stacy, for the past 10 years has been doing this veterans project where she's literally covering all the states or going round to all the states photographing veterans from you know combat zones and wars that have happened in the past and it's an incredible uh project so i had so many so many things that i want to ask her yeah and she's been doing it for 10 years so um it was nice to be able to sit and hear some of the stories I hadn't heard before. And we talked about her. She's got a service dog now, Charlie. So we get to hear about that. But no, sit down. I recommend you have a cup of tea. Sit down and listen to this. And if you get a chance, go over to Amazon because Stacey did actually have a book out. And it's called A Photojournalist Field Guide in the Trenches with Combat Photographer Stacey Pearsall. I really recommend if you're interested in this kind of thing, go and grab a copy of that book if you can find it. Um, it's a cracking read and she's the, a lovely lady with an amazing story she she's got she really has because again i've kind of, i was glad in a way that i although i've met stacy we've hung out at photoshop world in the green room and stuff like that i didn't really know the ins and outs of her story but oh my god is it powerful really really yeah. powerful so this um yeah like you said dave sit down get a cup of tea and just listen to this because this is what this is how powerful photography can be so I'm going to just go straight into this and go, Stacy. who are you? Hi, I'm Stacy Pearsall. I was a combat photographer in the Air Force for 10 years. Now I am an independent photographer and I travel all over the country, that is the United States, photographing veterans and archiving their stories. Well, there you go. <laughs> Thank you very much and good night. <laughs> no, no, I, I, there's, Stacey, there's so many things that we want to talk about with you. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm doing a... Um, a kind of like a World War II 1940s project. So I really want to get a lot of asking about your veterans thing. 
Uh, but there's so many other different facets to you that we want to talk about anyway. But I've got I've got your bio here. I kind of showed you this just before we started recording. And I want to kind of read out what it says here. This is the very, very start. It says, she, i.e. Stacey, is a Nikon ambassador, Manfrotto ambassador, Ilford master. Her work has been exhibited at the Woodruff's Art Centre, the Pentagon, and Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery, and the National Veterans Memorial and Museum, among numerous other galleries and venues. That is some serious kind of information there on a bio, isn't it? That is very, very impressive. But I want to know... I made it up. I want to know, because... <laughs> I, I want to I know, because obviously I'm, I'm only reading very briefly here. It says here that you became a photographer because your military kind of, you know, you went into the Air Force. Can you explain how that kind of happens? Because to go into the military with a view to kind of choosing what kind of profession you want to do... I can't get my head around that. It's obviously very, must be very different in the U.S. as it is than it is in the U.K. Well, typically one enlists in the military and you consult with a recruiter about potential occupations based on your test ratings and where, where your strengths lie. And the military has been sort of a family tradition for my family on both sides. Naturally, when it came time for me to grow up and get out on my own, the military seemed like a natural fit. However... Being the artist in the family, I didn't want to do anything really like wrench turning or or trigger pulling too much. That really wasn't my deal. I want to do something creative. So I went and I talked to my uncle, who was the guy who gave all the airmen uh, in the Air Force their jobs classifications. And I said, what does somebody like me, who's kind of creative, a little bit of a granola crunchy type person, do in the military? And he said, well, you could be a graphics designer, uh, a videographer, Yay. or a photographer. Yay, graphics. And I was actually really, really interested in the graphics portion of it because these guys, they would go on the battlefields and they would draw and sketch the battlefields. Totally amazing idea. And and so that was my number one pick. However, after after digging down a little bit, I found out that, that they were going, Photoshop had just... Adobe had just created Photoshop. It was this amazing thing. And they were going by the way of digital. And I was like, oh, I wanted to be a sketch artist. So honestly, what happened was being young and impatient, I just chose whichever opened up first. And that happened to be photography. It was not It was not my love or passion, full disclosure, at first. I, I actually grew to really love it once I figured out the technical part of it. Again, I was creative, so I didn't think about numbers and... Yeah, stops and equivalent exposures and all that jazz. It took me a while. So, so when it comes to the photography, then what was your experience of photography prior to joining the military? There, I didn't have much of a life before the military. I was seventeen when I joined, so um, everything that I had learned was really from uh, grade school. I had taken photography classes, uh, darkroom classes, when I was in high school, and everything that I learned was actually taught to me by the military and uh, documentary documentarians like myself, whether they were graphics designers, videographers, or photographers, they all go to one school. There's only one. Like that shows how many um, creative people there are in the military when you can put them all under one roof. Uh, so it's um, it's very a very small field, very difficult to get into. I had to wait six months for an, a position to open up for me even, even to get in the, that particular job. So I, I really count myself lucky. So how, how does it work then? Because you're you're going in there you're going to be a documentarian you're going to be going out to all these kind of areas of conflict or whatever to take you know to, to document it photographically how long is the training that you did if you've gone from literally not really know much about photography i guess to the position where they will send you out to do that how long is that period <laughs> actually when i when i 
joined. It was in the late 90s and there wasn't a whole lot going on, thank God, you know, around the world. And so um, my first four years were spent doing intelligence work outside of Combat Camera. And it was policy then, Combat Camera would not take anybody who had not been through a full enlistment. For, for American military, for U.S. military, that's four years at minimum. So I had to actually go through four years of odd jobs, what I like to call the, the life before my actual career, um, and then apply. And, and everybody wanted that job. So I was competing against people who had already had combat experience. They'd been in combat camera, went elsewhere, and then decided to come back. So I thought I had a snowball's chance in hell when I put my application in. Back in the day of, uh, like, men get all the jobs and and women didn't, did, did you have massive competition? I mean, what, was it a real struggle in that the guys were just naturally kind of you had to work a little bit harder to get it or you just had a, a an opportunity arose well here's the thing I, I i on paper they were looking at people sort of equally based on their portfolio of work and their evaluations as a military person so their fitness their um, proficiency behind the camera and the weapon all of these things came to factor in but they were also looking at one's longevity and experience and the, there were other people, primarily men, who were a thousand times more qualified than me and a and hundred times more, more uh, talented at that point in time. But I, I would also say and, and argue that they had to look at gender because there were certain assignments that were precluded for me as a female at that time. And um, it wouldn't be for another almost 10 years, over 10 years, that they actually allowed women in combat roles officially though i i was in combat a lot wow okay so uh how long were you because again i'm kind of it feels weird because i'm kind of asking you questions i've kind of got the answers to (laughs) but i want to kind of get you to talk more about just sorry just for the audience just um the reason why we got stacy on is so i had stacy's book from peach pit before i met her because that whole thing of the photography in the field fascinated me so i got your book from scott and ted at peach pit and then i saw you were going to be at photoshop world so i was really excited that i was going to get to meet you and i think i emailed you to say i was looking forward to meeting you and obviously we, we met at photoshop world and i watched your talk which was very emotional and very impactful and inspiring so i that was that was my introduction to you is i kind of got warts and all very early on of you know of your whole story so i was kind of relaying some of that to glenn because he obviously wasn't at the talk so he's kind of coming in afterwards so i i'd already met stacy and and heard a lot about her so glenn this is why glenn's got a lot of questions because he's kind of coming in a little bit fresher (laughs) i'm coming in blind almost because obviously we we have met you know we've met in the states at photoshop world and we've kind of hung out in this in the green room in the speaker's room and stuff like that but i've never had a chance to kind of sit with you and say right how do you do this how do you do that why did you do this and why did you do that uh, but I kind of, I, I'm, I am, like I said at the start, I am totally and utterly fascinated by your veterans project because if I can kind of fast forward your 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 career uh, in the Air Force, uh, and again, just reading a little bit here from, from the bio, it says you did three combat tours and then, you know, as Dave alluded to there, that he saw your, he came and listened to your story and there was a, a very traumatic event that happened in your career which resulted in you being retired from the Air Force, okay? 
Um, and I'm not going to want to push you for, for speaking about that. That is entirely down to you. But that has now led to you doing a veteran's portrait product. And those folks who, who are listening to this podcast now, they'll, they'll know that I'm doing this 1940s project because I have an absolute embed fascination with what happened in that period of time. And mine has started, first of all, photographing the Home Guard, who were the folks left in the UK who were either too old or too young or maybe injured and couldn't go to fight the fight. And they protected the home front. So I started photographing them. And then I've gone on to photograph some people who did serve, you know, because thankfully some of them are still alive. Uh, But now it's moved on to civilian life. So my kind of project's encompassing as much as I can now about 1940s World War II life. But your project is the Veterans Project. Okay, and obviously that's very dear to your heart because having been having been you know um, served in the armed forces, could you could you certainly tell me? And obviously for those folks listening, can you tell me more about this veterans project, how it started, what it's for, and just why? Right. Well, um, I have to give you a little backstory in order to actually let you know how that actually all began because um, it's all interconnected, and. When I enlisted in the military, I had every intent on staying for the full 20 years and, and, and for the duration of retirement. So when I got wounded in Iraq, my career was cut short and it was I was only halfway to my goal. So I, at, at 10 years, I found myself on my back, so to speak. Um, I had a cervical spine trauma, traumatic brain injury, and nerve damage down the right side of my arm. And the doctors were telling me that I wouldn't be able to lift anything over five pounds, that I couldn't run, or couldn't walk, couldn't stand for long periods of time, and that photography was completely off the table. Moreover, I couldn't wear body armor anymore. And if you can't wear body armor, you can't deploy. If you can't deploy, the military doesn't need you anymore. And I was... um, I was facing the music that my career was over and feeling really bitter about it. I think what's worse is that um, all of the combat traumas that happened over the course of those combat tours you've mentioned um, had accumulated. And and in that moment, when I finally stopped, everything began to catch up to me. It was a difficult time in that I... I I was coming unhinged, so to speak, because I didn't have a career, didn't have a future, didn't know where I was going. I was 17. I grew up in the military. That's all I ever knew and ever wanted to be. I wanted to serve, and I wanted to serve others. And I couldn't see myself as anything else other than a combat photographer. So I had an identity crisis as well. Then, to make matters worse, I had undergone 18 months of physical rehabilitation only to be told that it wasn't going to spontaneously get better. Just deal with the pain. So you ever go into the doctor's office and they they give you the smiley face chart and they say, okay, on a scale of one to ten, what's your pain level? Like ten being <laughs> like ten being dead and and zero being yay, happy day. Um, I I think it, you know, I was like, this is my face. Um, so the the thing was, I had to learn to live in that mid range of level of pain and say, okay, this is my new normal. And the 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 answer that the Veterans Administration was giving me was to give me drugs. So, and we're not talking about some Tylenol. We're talking about the good stuff with you know narcotics, and and that can be a slippery slope as well. And then the emotional trauma and trying to deal with all of that dark business. But 
in the meantime, when I was at the VA, I would go there and people would look at me because I was an anomaly, different. I was young in my late 20s. And by any stretch, people, the average veteran there getting their care was two and three times older than me and male. And they looked at me as if I was there to care. I was a caregiver for another veteran, say my dad or my grandfather, or that I was a nurse or an administrator at the VA. And it was really frustrating. I always felt like the minute I walked into the room, they were eyeing me or undressing me with their eyes. And there was volunteers there from the Red Cross passing out cookies and drinks and things like that. And my hand would be swatted away and say, no, that's for the veterans. That was the general attitude that I, that I faced. And, and it was as if everything was like coming to a head for me. One day, um, and this was the faithful day that I needed that slap in the face. I was at the VA, an elderly gentleman came to sit next to me and he was staring at me. I could see him in my peripheral and my face turned red and I was about to blow my gaskets when I just took a breath and I reminded myself that I am a a, a people person. I like to hear stories. I am a good person. All the things that were going through my mind were a manifestation of the emotions and the pain that I was feeling in that moment. And something told me that I just needed to ask him, what can I do for you? And really, honestly, that was just the gateway he needed to unload his own burdens. And he told me he was a World War II veteran, that he survived Normandy, that he was captured and put into a POW camp, escaped, liberated a concentration camp, and I was about to be the most biggest ass. And, And it wasn't because he was prejudiced. It was because of my own prejudices. All of those things that I had in the moment. And in that, in that instance, I knew that I needed to tell the story of this man because had I never asked that question, I would have never known this amazing story and his amazing yeah, yeah. journey. And, and that's how the Veterans Portrait Project began. I started bringing my camera to my doctor's appointments while I was waiting two and three hours. And next thing I knew, I was, I was doing all the things the doctors told me I wouldn't and shouldn't and couldn't do and proving them wrong. And then I started bringing my camera, making appointments just to take pictures. So I set this crazy goal that I would photograph veterans in every state and province from which the U.S. recruits U.S. military members. And I'm thinking that was going to be like a lifetime goal. Because if you imagine, it took me a year just to get Charleston done. I was still slowly, steadily coming back. But it's been 10 years, and I've done 29 states and over 7,000 portraits fantastic just just backtracking because i was fascinated when you said you were chatting to that guy there that gave you this overview of world war ii survived normandy and so on and so on and so on how did you how did you approach him about taking his picture and how did he respond well frankly that day i didn't have a camera in my hands it was one of those things where i was there to see my neurologist i had no i had no intent or any ambition to do this it was something that was kind of manifested from my conversation with him and it was only in talking to him that this revelation came around and this epiphany that I needed to do this so of course naturally when I when I came back Mickey was a volunteer Mickey Dorsey is his name he was a volunteer at my VA hospital so he was pretty easy to track down I said I didn't give him a choice I said I'm taking your picture this is happening we're doing this so that's it did you uh, again because I'm kind of thinking um, doing a parallel here with your project that's obviously extremely well established and my own project 
and I've got a certain kind of look that I'm adding to my kind of pictures. Did you go into this with a saying, this is how I'm going to do these pictures, this is what's going to be kind of like um, a uniformity across this whole project, or was it whatever suits that person? I did. I wanted to make sure that the background was clean because in the hospital, there's all these sort of arbitrary things in the background, and I didn't want that to detract or distract from the subject matter. And so I, I, at first I didn't have any sort of, um, I didn't care if it was gray or black or textured or not textured. I would just grab what I had on the way out of the studio and, and set it up and, and go to town. I didn't have a whole lot at the time. But at, after a while, I realized that white was going to work for me because I could gradiate it. I could make it dark. I could make it bright depending on how my impression of that veteran was formulating. And I could, I could do my own context and manipulate that more readily. I, you know, if I did dark, then I was stuck with dark. Sure. So, so we're looking now 10 years on, and it's still going strong. I'm taking it that the, uh, the, the very, very start when we started chatting, I kind of read out places where your, your pictures have been exhibited and so on and so on. Would, am I right in saying that that will be the predominantly the project, the veterans project that has appeared in those places? Is that right? Or not really? I I would say. Oh well, that is to say, I've had I think in the neighborhood of thirty exhibitions nationwide with the Veterans Portrait Project. But I have had other um, other exhibitions, whether that's um, portraits that I took while in combat or uh, photojournalism style images that I took from my military career. Right. Okay. And, and one question. I'm desperate. Sorry, Dave. I'm just. I'm on a roll. <laughs> one, one, I, I, one question that really is kind of springing to mind here is that, again, talking about my own projects here, I know what that's doing for me, and how that makes me feel doing this project. It, it almost. It sounds a bit weird. I kind of say this to people when they say, "Oh, it's lovely to see what you're doing." And my response is, it, it kind of feels like it's something I have to do. Do you know what I mean? It feels right because before now I tried all kinds of what I focus on physiques because I used to be doing the bodybuilding. I've tried other things. This one, it's a square peg in a square hole. Do you know what I mean? It kind of this is right for me. What is your project? I, I want to. There's a there's a few questions within one here, I guess. What has this project done for you on a, on all kinds of different levels? And what do you think it's done for the people that you're photographing? How what have you seen? that this has generated or, and kind of created from them the response you've had? The, the ripple effect in this project has been immense. For me personally, it has been cathartic because as a, as a combat veteran, as a disabled combat veteran who has had physical and emotional traumas from war, I always felt like that's something I had to keep to myself. And internalizing that can be really unhealthy the project has allowed me um, this sort of safe space to converse with my fellow veterans who have had like, like experiences. And, and I find it very validating that when they can be open about their experiences and emotions and what they're feeling, then I feel like I'm not alone. So with every veteran that I've, that I photographed or interviewed, it has allowed me to acknowledge the emotions and the pain that I felt or am feeling and and know that that's just a very human natural response and if and if they can talk about it then I can talk about it and I and I find now that the roles are reversing as time went on it, it definitely began to reverse where I am a lot more open with them 
and, and they in kind will be more open with me. So as for the impact it has on them, I know you asked about that. Um, it's reciprocated in that in those times where veterans may not have spoke about their experiences, particularly the Vietnam generation for the American military folks, uh, allowing them that, that space and that um, uh, empathy it allows them to open up and, and to, to share their burdens and, and just be open. One instance I had that I think conveys this uh, is an example that I was at the a, a Veterans of Foreign War Convention, National Convention. We were surrounded. We had a booth set up in the middle of this huge convention. And I was one veteran at a time. And I, the line was seriously wrapped around the convention. And um, it's this Vietnam veteran walked in with his wife and she sat off behind me and this Marine sat in my chair and we got to talking and he said, well, what did you do in the military? And I was like, I, I was a combat photographer. And he's like, well, what does that entail? And so I began to talk to him about what the mission was for my job. And I said, well, what did you do? And then he was like, oh yeah, I was um, part of the mortuary affairs. My job was to identify uh, deceased military members based off of whatever I could find, whether that's teeth or dog tags or personal effects. And for me, having been there and having to photograph that, I could relate. And so we were just talking and, and one might find this morbid or like I, if I were to put myself on the outside of this conversation, I would find it very, very dark. But in that, in that moment, we were just discussing about the experiences that we had and what we did. These are real. And we were suddenly taken out of our conversation by his wife weeping over my shoulder. And um, I took portraits of him and we wrapped and she gave me this huge hug. He gave me this huge hug. And she told me that was the first time she ever heard him talk about what he did in Vietnam. And, and, wow. and before that moment, never knew what he did in Vietnam. And she had a better understanding just listening why he acted the way he acted or why he had nightmares at night. And, and to me, that was... Um, Give me a whole new perspective of the kind of impact I could have on my fellow veteran. That is that is incredible, isn't it? That really is incredible. This this interview, we're only halfway in, and this is the first podcast that's given me the most goosebumps. Because <laughs> yeah, it's that... incredible. Because you know, we we were saying everyone's got a story, but sometimes not everyone gets to tell their story. And we always encourage our two girls to say hello to the elderly because sometimes they might be the only person that says hello to them all day. And you don't know where these people come from, what you know, what their background is. They're elderly now, but they they were doing something. And sometimes those kinds of stories, when you sit down to someone and say, you know, what did you do? Where did you go? Not to bring this round to anything to do with me, but um, Andrea's father passed away just recently. And he, in 1957, when he served, he was flown out to Christmas Island. And he had to do a couple of drops across America Um I think it was New York, San Francisco, Hawaii, and then Christmas Island. And he was part of Operation Grapple, or Grapple X, which was testing of the first thermonuclear bombs. And he's written this story out, which um, I, I read for the first time after he passed away. And he was explaining that, you know, they went out young, they didn't really know, they were told to stand on the island. Their protection from watching the bomb was to put their hands over their eyes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and... Um, 
and and he was there for that and he's still got all his tickets and the handbooks like the serviceman's guide to to a nuclear bomb and the serviceman's guide to hawaii which made me laugh but i i didn't you know that whole side of his life i i kind of knew he was involved in it but when i actually read his whole story and and why he went uh, all the family read it and to, to a apart from his own children nobody knew nobody had any idea that that was a part of his life i was convinced he was a superhero because he'd been exposed to gamma radiation <laughs> but it just goes to show that you know this elderly guy david was 80 he was a photographer he belonged to a photography club for 40 years i don't think any of the people he was at a photography club with knew that side of his story it's, it's it's it is incredible how people keep these things themselves, isn't it? But to hear what you're saying there, Stacey, as well that you know I, I, you've never met this guy before. But there you are. You've found some kind of a common bond, and because of the photography, you are where you are, and he is where he is, and it's allowed him to open up. I think that is just that is incredible. Do you know what I mean? I I, um, I was telling Dave on Sunday I was photographing some some old folks, uh, elderly folks, for this project I'm doing, and these were people who are in their late 80s early 90s and these were children during world war ii and uh i i kind of felt i wanted to know more about what they'd experienced but it's kind of you feel a little bit should i ask do they want to speak about it but what i found was as probably you have there that this these people just volunteered this information because it's that they've got somebody who wants to listen and wants to hear. Do you know what I mean? It's and I, there's some of the stories I was being told. I, I told Dave about the one where the lady was, um, her dad didn't go to fight to war because he had an injury from World War One, but they owned a farm and there was a prisoner of war camp nearby, and the commandant sent two German prisoners of war to come and work on their farm for them. And she was talking as a little seven-year-old girl saying the relationship that they had with these two men was just incredible because they didn't want to fight. They were doing what they told to do. And she said she remembers seeing her dad laughing and joking with these two men. And she said forgetting that the, what was going on outside of their farm. It was just wonderful to see it. And reading that story, because I got her bio as well, it was like lump in the throat, do you know what I mean? So I'm kind of guessing that you've had more than that experience that you mentioned yeah. there with people opening up to mm -hmm. you have you got a kind of a, obviously you've been doing it for 10 years i guess have you kind of got a nice reputation now that people want to come to you because <laughs> a they get a great photo and b they know that they, they can talk to that someone sounds who like she didn't have a nice yeah. one before. Uh, no, no, I had a terrible know, reputation my whole yeah. life <laughs> well i know that but, uh, <laughs> but you know you what know, i mean people want to come to actually just meet you yeah well i i think I'm a firm believer that you treat others as you want to be treated and that will always um, precede you. And I, and I hope, and I, and I, and I believe that that is true with my work and, and that um, veterans know if they ha don't know of me directly, they've heard of me or um, through the grapevine. And, and I've have had veterans who've reached out to me and said, when are you coming to Cincinnati or when are you going to be in Tulsa? And, and, and I find it very flattering that, you know, they they want to be part of it now. So instead of me asking them, they're asking me. And I think that's incredible. Is it is is this project, again, two questions, because I've got all this stuff coming into my head. Um, is this a, number one, is it a self-funded project? And number two, where do you see it going? What what is your, Do you have an ultimate goal for this? Or have you would you say that you've actually achieved it because of what you're getting from these people? Right. Well, let me start off by talking about the funding part because that is really, really huge. Initially, the first uh, first two, 
actually um yeah i would say the first oh gosh ooh, it was like first five years i was funding that on my own and um so what i would do is i would take paid assignments and then squirrel that away and um put that towards going to Georgia or North Carolina, anywhere I could actually drive to and pay for a hotel and stick out for the night and um, try and get venues that wouldn't charge me to set my studio up. And then um, I was really, really lucky. I had a completely unrelated exhibition in New York City. And I was talking to the curator and asked if I could submit a couple of veterans portraits, because that's something I wanted to raise awareness about. And they said, yes. Luckily, there was a gentleman from New York City who saw the portraits and he said, tell me a little bit more about that. I'm like, well, it's a side thing I've got going on and it's it's something I really care about. It's archiving these amazing stories of these amazing people who would go untold. And I want to be able to educate the people about the veteran community. You know, we're a very small community and we come from all walks of life. And I was like, so you get like, I'm still enthusiastic about it, like even after 10 years. But anyway. So he went back and he called his friend in Atlanta, Georgia from a company called USAA. USAA is a big insurance and banking firm here in the U.S. that tailors to veterans and their families and active duty military. So he calls me up and I didn't know this conversation was happening like behind me after this event. And he calls me up and says, hey, I'm Keener Gill from USAA. I heard about your Veterans Portrait Project. And I was like, am I being punked right now? Like, this is the <laughs> coolest thing ever. And he said, yeah, we want you to come down to Tampa to um, our offices down there and give us a presentation. I'm like, sweet. So hopped on a plane, went down to Tampa, gave a presentation about my, my former life. And then I closed out with this huge thing about the Veterans Portrait Project. And I said, you know, what keeps me going, what has kept me going, what has brought me back from the brink was this project. It has sustained me. It's been cathartic. It's been healing. It has been motivating. When the doctor said I couldn't do photography anymore, this project proved I could. When I thought that my life was going to be over, this project gave me a purpose in life. And um, and I have this crazy Seem seemingly unachievable goal of photographing veterans in every state and province. I could use all the help I could get. And USAA said, sat back, and this is completely unexpected. And this is little old me not thinking big picture. They go, well, I think we might be able to help you to get to a few of those. And I was like, for serious? Seriously? And then in 2013, USAA supported uh, 17 cities across wow. the U.S. And then wow. they sponsored us for another few years after that. As as people around the country began to find out more about the project, they too wanted to host us. So I've set up a thing on my, our website about what it, what's required of hosting. And this allows individuals who um, want to give back to the veteran community the ability to coordinate and fund or find funding to bring the Veterans Portrait Project to their city or their town or their event or reunion, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's so helpful because... I'm a one-man band. Essentially, I am the PR person and the web designer. <laughs> uh, I'm the archivist. Um, I do all the copyright on the end. I do all the photo editing, and I have to do all the court. Anyway, as much help as I can get from the community is it, very beneficial, and I'm and when I rely on their good graces to do that. And I, I can't. I learned really quickly that I can't afford to do it all on my own. So I definitely need help. And the furthest, like, hey, I have to go to Hawaii still. So anybody, anybody in Hawaii who's got some deep pockets or knows somebody who does, help me out. So the second question there was then, 
what is your ultimate goal for this? Or have you kind of achieved it, but you're going to be doing more of it? Right. Well, ultimately, the goal of the project was to capture veterans from every state and province. That was the sort of uh, um, umbrella statement, right? Mm. Um, my mission statement is all about education. Because I, I, if we go back to that very moment, that state of mind where I was in, thinking that every male veteran was looking at me and thinking she's not a veteran. That still happens today. And what what we think of in our mind's eye was dictated to us by what we've seen in the media or in movies. And that doesn't include a face like mine. And for me, I wanted to set about redefining what veterans, what we think of as veterans and and, and, sh- and showcasing that if you take all of society and you pull a wedge from that society out of that pie, that is the U.S. military. And the Veterans Portrait Project helps to put a, put a face to that. Moreover, it allows us to hear these stories that would go relatively untold because if you didn't earn a Medal of Honor uh, or if you didn't make something that was completely newsworthy, then your story would basically, you know, go to the wayside, sadly. So the project helps to um, helps to keep those stories alive. Superb. All right. Okay. So who's Charlie? <laughs> I was wondering if you guys heard him <laughs> heard him barking with his. I just thought that was a perfect segue into it. There, Charlie. Charlie well done. Wait, Char- about you. <laughs> Charlie and the hooligans is what I like to call them. I have two corgis and a and a lap. So um, Charlie is my service dog. And, um, you know, when I, when I first got wounded in Iraq, I did my best to hide my injuries and hide my pain. And that was just sort of the military mentality. If you rub some dirt on it, keep going. And, and quite frankly, all I wanted to do was get back to working and, uh, to admit that I was still hurt was kind of not going to do myself any justice. And, and I had this mindset that if I had all my limbs and I had a pulse and I was good, and that service dogs were for people who were like wheelchair bound or blind or missing limbs. And I had all of my limbs. So I toughed it out a lot. And my neuro- neurological disorders, um, I get off balance a lot. So some mornings where I have vertigo, it makes it difficult. Um, if I'm photographing, sometimes I'll lo- lose balance and I'll look like I'm drunk, which is great. That's um, <laughs> it's always really good. Um, <laughs> so those challenges I just kind of pushed through and... Most people didn't even know I had a traumatic brain injury. It's not something I volunteered to people. So if I was standing, I would find something hard to stand on, and then I would just be there leaning on a wall or leaning on, like, nobody knew. Not even my assistants. Like, I didn't tell my assistants initially. Wow. Uh, And it was about two years ago I had a grand mal seizure because of my neurological uh, issues, and that's when I really needed to face the music. All of the stress that I was putting on myself with the traveling with the Veterans Portrait Project um, and being that one-man band, so to speak, um, was putting a lot of stress on on my body, the um, the physical aspects of it, the mental aspects of it um, all came to a head and I had a grand mal seizure and I was like, oh, God. So I applied for a service dog. Now, I watch a news organization called NBC here in the States every morning over coffee and they were pairing up with America's Vet Dogs to raise awareness about the importance of service dogs and guide dogs. My husband and I were there with their cup of coffee, like red-eyed. 
And out comes this little puppy on the red carpet, a little black lab, ears flying, big paws, like trampling down, and he's so cute. And uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the American the American people named him Charlie. They all voted. And they named him Charlie. 18 months of training on set and off set. And uh, I got this call last fall, and they said, we uh, have selected you to be um, in our top three veterans to be awarded charlie and i was like am i being punked like my whole <laughs> life is like <laughs> it's kind of like you know like when oprah called me i was like am i being punked like this is the story of my life am i being punked um and i didn't want to get my heart like too excited about it because he's so beloved by everybody and he's an incredible dog he's celebrity status uh and luckily i was and and i think coincidentally we both have our own missions and I think our Charlie's mission and my mission are like in stride with each other. And we, we pair, we pair very well with each other because I reach out to veterans. The veterans that I touch have issues like I do. And Charlie can be there not only for me, but for them when they need it. And I think I am doing my best to raise awareness about the face of veterans and that we are all different and very diverse. And Charlie is doing the same because to look at me, I look able-bodied. I don't wear my injuries on my sleeve. I'm a young female. So that too helps when his, when his, when he's wearing his vest, it says America's vet dogs. And so people often ask me, are you training him? Oh really? I'm like, wow. no, I'm I'm the veteran. But it gives us an opportunity to talk to change people's mind and have them think a little bit about the face of veterans. Yeah. So, so what what is Charlie able to do for you then? In a, in a nutshell, what what can he? How does he assist you? Well, aside from being super super chewy cute, um, <laughs> Charlie goes everywhere with me. He travels um, planes, trains, and automobiles across the nation. We went to Alaska this past spring to do the Veterans Portrait Project. While on assignment, he does mobility support. When I'm feeling off balance, I have a handle on Charlie's vest and he will provide counterbalance. When I'm taking portraits and I'm on my knees and I need to stand up, he offers stability so that I can get up from the ground. He will actually go and retrieve lenses and things like that for me when I'm, when I'm shooting. Bless him. Um, He is incredible. I'm also um, very hard of hearing and on the right side of, uh, in the right ear. And I get startled really easy. When people come up on my deaf side and I can't hear them, I'm like, jump out of my skin. So Char- Charlie will help alert me when people are coming to my blind side, that kind of stuff. And when I'm having uh, emotional trauma issues, like if I'm having nightmares, he will interrupt those by waking me up in the middle of the night. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? He's pretty special. And how old is he? He just turned two in June. Oh, wow. Because I remember watching all this where you it was all being posted on Facebook where you were uh, on the on the couch on the breakfast show and it was all uh, there was you came out on the carpet and Charlie came out and you kissed him on the nose and and it was like you know it, it was played out in front of America yeah. and uh, did that help educate everyone to understand because obviously you're saying people look at you mm-hmm. and there you are you know you, you looking healthy. Um, but obviously, like you say, the injuries you've got aren't physical that you that you can see them. Right. Did you um, did you get a lot of support through that because people were able to see that this, these dogs were for everybody, or did you get negative? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think you know, with social media, you're gonna get 
you know, the troll, the trolls who say things that aren't very nice. And 95% of the people were very, very supportive. But these 5% who have a lot of time on their hands weren't so nice. And, yeah. and I was like, I, Charlie did not come home with me after I was first introduced with him. He had to complete certifications. Yeah. And so I'm reading these comments on social media and I'm like, <laughs> like, oh my God, <laughs> why are they so mean? I'm like, I need Charlie right now. Um, frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. And I think the, the biggest thing I, I focus on now is um, helping to provide or offer information about service dogs and what they do and service dogs for um, people with diabetes, service dogs for people who, is, who have epilepsy and that you cannot judge a book by its cover. You have to be inquisitive and ask questions and be open uh, to, to knowledge and Hey, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has them, and and uh, you know, not, <laughs> and I'm not, not going to bleep that out, no, really. But um, <laughs> and and that's and that's okay. I I'm I'm totally fine with it, uh, and I've grown accustomed to to the comments. Like when I'm standing in line at the airport, I'm like, oh no, it's just another lady with her emotional support dog, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was just going to say the whole service dog versus emotional support peacock, which yeah. <laughs> we did see on the news, is a completely different thing. And I know people can kind of got, get fake registration for emotional support animals. Mm -hmm. And like you say, that can do damage to the people who have got service animals well so, sure so i mean it it's like you know that old that old cliche that one bad apple ruins the bunch and and if one dog urinates on the airplane that's not a legitimate service dog because service dogs don't really do that um then then everybody's like oh god we're gonna have a stinky dog on this plane um i am not going to sit here and diminish anybody who needs an emotional support dog like legitimate yeah. um because mental health is real and um yeah and i and i'm definitely all for people acknowledging mental health and and to getting the help that they need and deserve um so uh, as somebody who has had my own journey um i don't want to diminish that so you get out you you get out there and you do you and you do what's going to help you out um I think we are going to come to a, a decision collectively as a country here in the U.S. about how we're going to address emotional support animals versus dogs and put something in place so that we don't have these uncomfortable um, situations. Um, and I think it's 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 going to be more beneficial for people with guide dogs and service dogs because if you can imagine bringing your I have two domesticated dogs. They're yappy. They're crazy. They're bananas. I call them the hooligans for a reason because they're so naughty. Um, <laughs> and I would never, ever, ever attempt to bring my dog Pickles to an airport um, and, and, and have him sit on my lap for, an, for a flight. But not everybody is as um, common sense driven as I am. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I kind of, my, my head's, I've got to be honest with you, my head's a little bit of a mush because there's stuff, I, I think it's been good that I, that I didn't know that much about you. Do you know what I mean? This, because I, I've kind of, you know, I've seen you around, we've been at virtual world, we've chatted and all that kind of stuff, but I had no idea what had led you to be where you are now. Absolutely no idea. So if I had a hat on now, Stacey, I'd take it off <laughs> because all, all credit to you, I think is... It's incredible what you're doing. It really, I genuinely mean that. It's incredible what you're doing, and for you to be doing, to have gone through what you're doing, and to be out there doing it, this project, I think is just 
it's just wonderful. It really yeah. is wonderful. And I, I, I feel that way because of what I'm doing with my project. I wasn't around. I know I might, I'm going a little bit grey, but I wasn't around in the 40s, so I've got no link with that. <laughs> but I've, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this project. In fact, talking of projects, put an aside there, if, you, if we can word it that way, what we've talked about there, the reason for doing your project. Mm. I, I'm somebody who's always advocated people choosing to do a project anyway right. to help them to move on with their photography yeah. rather than kind of randomly trying to think of what can I do next. How do you think, regardless of what project it is, what do you think the doing a project has done for your photography? I absolutely am a big advocate for projects. And I think that people, um, I've literally wrote classes about this and, and taught classes about projects because they can evolve you as a human being. And that directly impacts your personal and professional careers. Both of them should be seen as something that will, um, will enhance the other. Take, what I encourage you to do is, is, is look at your life and, and think about your own experience and your own history. And, and also think about things that have a positive impact in your life. And find a way to marry that into a personal project. So if you enjoy animal rescue, then perhaps that is something where you can go and take portraits of animals that need homes for adoption. Likewise, if you, um, you know, are against domestic violence and you want to raise awareness about how to be an advocate for, for those who are trying to get out of domestic violence, that might be a personal project. Or, you know, don't let kids go hungry. That's a personal project. So it all comes down to marrying your own... Um, your own moral compass to something photographically. Here's the deal. When you start that personal project, you really don't know where it's going to go. You have to keep an open mind. The thing is just come up with a statement, get your butt out of the seat, get your, get your ass out of the house, go shoot it and just let it and let it guide you because it will. And don't be afraid to try something new on a personal project. When we are on paid assignments, we kind of go with our formula, the thing that works, the, the reason why they hired us in the first place. Personal projects, there are no rules and nobody's paying you. So if somebody comes down and says, oh, and this picture is crap, well, tough luck because you didn't pay for it. Um, so it allows you the, the freedom and the carte blanche to try something new, to get out there. And, and also, here's, here's the kicker, making connections. Had I not taken those portraits, had I not asked to exhibit them in New York City, I never would have met the folks from USAA. They would have never heard of me and I would have never made that connection. And all the while being on the road doing this, I talked to more people and I networked and I, and I made better contacts and they were like, well, why don't you come here? What, have you heard of this? Have you done that? Suddenly, not only was I doing the project and achieving the goal I set out to do, but now I was getting these peripheral perks for getting hired to do this job and getting hired to do that job so it's all beneficial i've got a question as well that's something we do touch on which is the work-life balance and obviously i know uh your husband andy uh also served and i know there was a little funny story about how you met but looking from a point of support you've got charlie but obviously you've also got a family as well so and they would obviously understand why you're doing this um, but I guess it's really important as well that Andy understands that you need to do this. Uh, is that, I mean, it's a silly question really, but uh, do they want to help or do they want to leave you to do it by yourself? 
my husband has been my biggest cheerleader, my biggest supporter. And, and frankly, he was the one that came up with the name for the project because um, until that, I was just operating on like, I'm going to take pictures of veterans. Like, he's, well, why don't you name the puppy? I'm like, so he's the one that did that. Um, my husband has um, always been encouraging. And I think that that's the, the biggest part that he, he could be. I think he knew that I had to redefine who I was. And that process was not going to be an easy one. And I, and I think he did a wonderful, he did the best thing he could have ever done for me. And that was just cut me loose and let me do my thing and let me find my way because I did not want to be coddled. I didn't want help. I didn't want to be told the things I couldn't do and to be restricted. Instead, he said, just follow your heart, listen to your body, know your limits and just go for it. So you're still doing it on your own that you you like that you can do it on your own with Charlie. <laughs> I absolutely do. I I um my husband calls me very hard-headed and stubborn and that is absolutely true. So um I will probably be that way till the day I die. Just Yeah. And you you have actually now photographed Andy eventually and your sister as well. I have. Um I photographed my dad, all of my uncles, my sister who was the first female A ten crew chief in Air Force history, and my lovely husband who was a twenty two year Air Force combat photographer. Did he behave? Was he uncomfortable? Was this like was that the thing you put off or was he kind of one day thinking, When's she gonna ask me? <sighs> um, you know, sometimes when you're too close you're too close, like to see it. Um and I knew that it's been ten years, like it was it was finally time it, it took it, it actually took me eight years to photograph my dad uh and 10 years to photograph my step-grandfather um why I why I waited so long I don't know but Andy Andy oh Andy um he's wonderful but he does not do well in front of the camera so he he kind of reminds <laughs> me of that movie Talladega Nights where he's like I don't know what to do with my head <laughs> and I'm like just relax um no we finally we got through it we got through it. Because he's a very accomplished photographer himself, isn't he? He's an incredible photographer. And um, I, I think what's great about him is uh, he he gives it as freely as he got it. And um, not only is he an incredibly accomplished photographer, but he is more than willing to show you how to do it and to encourage you and, and, and to teach. And I think that's probably why he's such a great fit at Nikon. Yeah. As I say, because you both, uh, Andy was a professional services? PMTR, pro market tech rep. Like, could it be any more? Could there be another acronym in there? Um, Essentially, in in lay terms, he helps pro photographers know their gear, set it up at big events like the Super Bowl or the Olympics, and, uh, you know, helps them uh, also acquire gear they need for big events too so so you can borrow stuff off him <laughs> yes yes if you're living in the southeast of the united states contact andy dunaway he's got your back stacy where can uh, this this we've talked a lot about the project we've not said where people can find it where where can people find out more about this project oh gosh i'm so glad you brought that up veteransportraitproject.com i have every image that i have ever taken archived on there and every veteran if you were to click on the veterans portrait will pop up their backstory or at least their stats it's kind of like a baseball card so it'll show you their years of service where they served if they had any foreign war experience what their jobs were their highest rank held all the really good cool information plus we're on social media so we've got a blog but instagram we're constantly updating so all of our travels are updated 
uh, through Veterans Portrait Project Instagram. And you can see where we are. We'll post stories, even deeper stories on veterans, and we'll go back and do uh, a longer version than what we show on the website. Cool. And is there any way that our listeners can help? In you know, if you were going to kind of say to the listeners now, this is how you can help. Ah. Is there any way in particular that, that listeners could? <laughs> I was just going to say that. that was just, there's one thing I was specifically going to mention, but I'll let Stacey do it. Well, um, you know, of course, as I said, that I I can't do this alone and uh, without without help. So if you are uh, able visit veteransportraitproject.com. We have a map of where we've been and where we need to go. If you happen to live in the area of where we need to go still, please, uh, I could use your help getting out there. Helping be one of our hosts would be amazing. So if you have that in you, that would be great. Fantastic. And we'll post all these details, Dave, right? We'll put them all on there. I think you've got, looking at their website, I think you've got 19 more events this year. And it looks like you've got around about 12 to 15 already set up for next year and the thing that i was going to say that is on the website if it's still valid if uh, this works i think the uk and the us is you have donate airline miles on your website Mm -hmm. is that still active it is yes so what's that all about well if you are a frequent flyer and you've accrued a number of miles that you don't think you're going to use We'll put them to use. I am I am actually really proud to say, though, that um, Delta Airlines has stepped up and said that they would cover our airfare for the remainder of the states that we have. So that was wow, an incredible wow. donation. So for those of you who are in Hawaii who are like, that's an expensive airfare, don't worry about it. We just need your help when we're on site. Putting it yeah. together. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Delta Airlines. Cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll put a link to Delta Airlines you, in Delta. the show notes. <laughs> If, if you're a veteran that is living in the areas where I'm coming, I encourage you to, to come on out. And I'm going to be having an exhibition at the Women in Military Service Memorial at Arlington Cemetery in November. And we're going to be celebrating women veterans. So that would be amazing to see you there. But also uh, at Veterans Day, I'm going to be going to the grand opening of the National Veterans Memorial uh, and Museum in Columbus, Ohio. It is the only museum dedicated to U.S. American military veterans, and it's going to be an incredible experience. So if you were in the neighborhood, Veterans Day is really busy for myself and all the veterans out there, but make some time, and I'd love to see you all there. Fantastic. Excellent. Brilliant. Cool. Well, I'm pretty much blown away. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I think we'll kind of wrap it up there. Um... But I'm hoping, Stacey, I'm hoping that you'll want to come back on some other time because I'd like to hear that if we kind of say that it'd be great to get you on next year after you've done even more and you've got even fewer states to do, mm-hmm. it'd be nice to maybe, because who knows what you're going to experience between now and then, who you're going to meet, what stories you're going to hear. So I'd love to maybe, if we can, get you on here to kind of go through some more of that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. But listen, like I said earlier on, thank you thank you so much for your time with this. It's uh yeah. Can I stop very, now? Very, very powerful Should stuff. Should I stop this? Okay. Yeah. Not yet. No? Oh, no. But, but, but we've got to say thank you and goodbye. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Because <laughs> we've been saying, we've got to get Stacey on. We've got to get Stacey on. I really appreciate and, uh, that, you guys. So- I appreciate that. Thank you. You're also our first female guest on the podcast. So you get a little badge for that. Alle- allegedly. <laughs> but no, thank you very much. It's obviously... It's been a pleasure meeting you when we met and to follow your story online and, and still like be friends and watch what's happening. We're really pleased for you. And I'm so glad you could be guest on the podcast. So we'll put all the links, everything on the website. 
and push it out all out on social media for you just to help whichever way we can and i'm going to look and see if i've got any emails as well because i know i've got a few kicking around somewhere but uh, thank you very much yeah and as definitely. glenn said we'll definitely love to have you back i would enjoy that thank you very much Stacey. thank you thanks for having me Okay. Ready? Just do, do uh, we, just do your normal intro. Yeah. With me, uh, Dave Clayton. I'm very Actually, good. hi, Glenn. No, you, no, you, two, you do no, the. No. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> What's so weird? Don't. Three, two, one.